Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's July the 25th, 2023. Last month, uh, we had the sad news that Martin Amis died, one of the legendary figures of a legendary generation of English writers, um, uh, amongst whom, of course, Christopher Hitchens has already died. There aren't many of them left. One of them, though, is left, Julian Barnes. He knew them all as um, young men and older men. He's been involved in one kind of scandal or another with them. Um, he has a new uh, paperback out, uh, uh, Elizabeth Finch. You know, we, we did an interview with him earlier this week on that. But it would be a great opportunity to ask Julian, step back a little bit from uh, Elizabeth uh, Finch and his other work, and think about the generational quality of, of, of his work and of Amos's work and Hitchens' work. As the next generation, I always thought of that generation as golden, Julian. Was I wrong? <laughs> I remember the same question being asked of the British television dramatist, um, Dennis Potter, and he was once asked, um, you, you, Dennis Potter, you are a member, leading member of the golden generation of TV dramatists. It was a golden age, wasn't it? To which he replied, we thought it was a silver age, um, mm -hmm. which was very, very witty and also quite modest, but implying that, you know, they thought they were just leading the way on to other things. Um, I don't think that any of us, however vain, or self-important we were, um, and we weren't very back then, um, ever thought, you know, that we we are a generation. I mean, Hitchens, Amos and I were all worked on The New Statesman at a certain time together, and we had many associates and friends in literary and journalistic London. And, you know, we, we would meet up at intervals. Um, but we we never... I mean, I never thought of us as a group otherwise, other than a group of friends. Um, I, I think Martin was closest in spirit to Hitchens, even though um, Hitchens was, um, you know, a political writer rather than a novelist. Um, and I don't, I don't think my books are like his or his are like me, mine. Um, I remember talking to Ian... McEwen, who's an old friend and was a friend of Martin and Hitches as well, uh, uh, not long ago. And he said, you know, th this idea that somehow we were we were a generation who were arriving and were trying to take on the previous generation stuff. It, it seemed to me we were just hanging out and having fun. And I think that, you know, before things get fixed in some sort of glue of literary history or whatever, um, you have to remember that a lot of a lot of uh, groups of artists at the beginning are just hanging out and having fun. Um, if you look back, this is to compare lesser with greater. If you look back at the early at, at Cubism and the way it was uh, uh, founded and um, uh, propelled by Braque and Picasso. Uh, they got up to all sorts of sort of jokes and japes and tricks and so on, and they had nicknames for one another. 
And, you know, Picasso would suddenly buy a hundred hats at auction and send them round to Brock's apartment. Um, stuff like that. And um, it, it becomes... Um, it, it becomes sort of fixed that somehow you're all solemn and looking solemnly to the future. I was, I remember very clearly that I was only looking to, when I wrote my first book, I was just seeing if I could write a first book. And, and indeed that seemed an immense um, uh, achievement when I did, because I was 34 at the time when it was published. And then I managed to write another and then another, and then all of a sudden I was a writer and I, I put there was a moment when changing my passport instead of journalist, I put writer on it, and part of that was because I thought it would make me a writer if I put writer on my passport. Um, I mean, I think that this our generation has has you know survived. Um, we're still writing interesting books, though. Well, some of us are dead, obviously, and and the rest of us haven't got many books. In, but in us, but um, uh, I mean, you realise you're 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 you, you might be a uh, some kind of a generation silver or whatever rather than gold when when you hear the generation below you complaining that we're, you're sort of sitting on their heads or something like that. Why is the English novel all about those guys and women? You know, why isn't it about us? Um, and that gives me a, a little sort of modest pleasure from time to time. There's nothing like Schadenfreude from on occasions. I mean, the generational quality, of course, was easy for journalists to pick up on, given Amos's father. Um, and you were, I mean, you say you were having fun. You were having fun, but you were having rebellious fun, whether it was you or Rushdie or McEwen or Amos or, or Hitchens. There was a rebellious, I mean, even in your own, quiet way in your books they're rebellious books maybe not so much in terms of their messages but certainly in their form yes i i i think i am um distinct from other writers of my generation by being very interested in form and n not thinking that form is easy I remember when a poet friend of mine said oh form's easy you know well, it's a sonnet there's a this there's a that there's the other um, uh, and and the novel has always been a, a, a various and baggy and multitudinous form um, and I don't really think that it progresses in exactly the same way as um, painting or uh, other arts um, I think in some ways it still circles round and you look at um, you look at early masterpieces, and you think, "Gosh, well, they can't. We can't teach them anything." I mean, it's, it's a wonderful moment in Don Quixote, which is one of my favourite moments in literature. So there are two parts of Don Quixote. Um, first came out, I think, it's something like sixteen oh three, and then the second, sixteen thirteen. It's anyway, it's ten years between them. Um, and the, the second part is Further Adventures of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. And at one point, they're, um, they're, in, um, they're staying the night in an inn. And the room and the, 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 the partition to the next room or, you know, canvas lodging, whatever we, we think it might have been, is very thin. And they're overhearing the conversation 
of those people staying the night in the next room. And they're saying, you know, I've been reading about this Quixote and Sancho Pans. What a pair of clowns. They're really mm. stupid. It's very boring. And so on. I think what a wonderful moment of postmodernism, of self-referentiality, as we would ponderously call it nowadays. Um, and what a great moment of fun that Cervantes was having uh, with his own characters. Um, and uh, so you asked me about form. And yes, I, I, I do think that there's some, you know, the, there are some, there's some progress to be made and different sorts of form, different sorts of um, mixture of, I mean, I, I'm, I, hybrid is a word which is occasionally used of me. Um, I mix um, fiction and nonfiction sometimes in books uh, according to the requirements of the story. Um, and I don't have any problem with that. And uh, most most readers don't. Some critics do. Why doesn't he write a proper novel? That sort of thing. Well, um, at the same time, I don't feel bound by that as a rule. I don't think, oh, I've got to, I've got to, sometimes the story itself, such as it is, will tell itself in an old fashioned way. And I'm happy with that. Um, and sometimes you need some formal innovation perhaps to get it across um yes julian when well, and i'm sure it's probably it's probably already been done when someone writes a history of your golden or silver generation whatever you want to call it um do you think you'll be identified as the guy not just who who got form or who was focusing on form but who escaped I and mean, even if you didn't live abroad you seem to have always focused on on escaping england your first book metroland was about how in a perhaps in a in a in a in a way to escape england uh, flaubert's parrot um one of your your best known most successful books is a distinctively i guess french novel or certainly strong french influences do, do you think that um that in contrast, perhaps, to, to Amos and Hitchens, who were distinctively, for better or worse, English, there's something European about your work? Yes, just as I think there's something very American about, uh, about Martin's work. Yeah. Um, you know, his, 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 god, his, his god, one of his gods was Saul Bellow, another was Nabokov, who was a, a, an American-Russian, I mean, a Russian-American. Um, and um, and there's the, the the danger sometimes for an, for an English or British writer is wanting to write an American novel. Americans are much better at that than than we are. And there's a sort of temptation sometimes. I'm not talking about Martin here um, because he was kind of bi bilateral. He was bi Atlantic. He's on both sides. He had a you know he was knew America as a child. And Hitchens, of course, went to America and 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 took the country on, as it were. Um, but there's a sort of with other novelists, a sort of sense, oh, I must write my American novel, and then they 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 write one in which you know there's a naive English character who wanders into a supermarket and is amazed that you know the stakes are so large and you know you can buy egg, eggs in a box of twenty four or something like that rather than six in England. And and this I find very tedious, uh, and I've never. I, I, you're right. I'm. I'm. My foreign 
influences European rather than American. Um, this may be because, well, you know, when, when I was going back to when I was young, I didn't go abroad till I was about 12. We went to France. I didn't know any other foreign country until I was about 18 or 19. Um, and that's how it was because we were just, you know, emerging from the war. There were restrictions on travel, restrictions on money. Um, and wh whereas nowadays, I remember talking to um, Hanif Koresh's young son some years ago. I know he was about eight or something like that. And he addressed me in a very grown up way. And he said, I do find, you know, uh, San Francisco and Hong Kong are my favourite cities. Mm. And I, thought, I thought, gosh, how things have changed. I, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to compare, you know, Edinburgh and Paris when I was seven or eight. Um, but yes, I think that that's where my uh, influences, as far as I can say, and interests lie. Um, I, I read French and Russian at school and university, so there's a sort of French and Russian literatures are my my favourite ones. Um, though I love certain American writers, sure, yes. It's funny with Amos, uh, you know, he came over and lived in America, married a Jewish-American woman. Uh, and there seems something, I, I don't know whether it's just looking back through his work, something inevitable about him, about him moving to America. I guess, having read you know, back then, having read Metroland and Flaubert's Parrot, I would have imagined you ending up in France or on some <laughs> Greek island. Did you ever fancy going to live in Europe, Julian? Your, your work is very popular there. Yes, yes, it is. I'm glad. I'm glad that it is. Um, and I go there quite a lot. I go there a great deal. But um, I lived in France for a year when I was 21, um, when I, I taught in a, a Catholic school in, in Brittany. Um, and I've, you know, every, every so often I would think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a house in France or something like that? But um, it depends on your private circumstances. Um, and it depends on what your priorities are and whether you think um, whether you think you would you would write better if you lived abroad i I don't know that I would um, i remember I remember talking to he was a sort of very very sort of grand wine merchant who was rather posh. And he hadn't had many novelists around his table. And he said, um, I think if I wanted to be a writer, I would just travel the world for several years and then I'd come back and I'd write. And I said to him, yes, you'd probably be a travel writer then, wouldn't you? Um, there's something about the novel, even if you, you, you travel in with the novel, which is somehow site-specific to where you are, I would also fear losing, not losing my language, but but being out of touch on a, I mean, I can imagine myself in some nice uh, rural French uh, farmhouse uh, reading L'Equipe and Le Monde every day and talking nothing but French. Um, but I, I, th I think there's a suspicion or a fear that I, would lose the daily contact with um, 
my own language and um, and the daily reality of British life, uh, even though I don't write about the daily reality of British life very often. Um, it's sort of it's 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 um, it's to do with it's to do with um, where you think your ideas and your imagination comes from and um and also you know perhaps a lack of boldness in my character uh, I, I i think um I'm, I'm you know profoundly affected i think by um flaubert's great statement um be regular and orderly in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work uh, he said that. You think it's 100, true? 150, 160 years ago. Well, it's not true for everyone. Um, and there are some, it's just that you need to f identify, even if only half consciously, um, the sources of your creativity. Um, and some, I mean, I've lived, I, I'm talking, I'm, I, I've lived in a, a part of North London for I've lived in this house for 40 years and I've lived within a few streets distance for another 15 before that um, and every so often I think uh, other people they move around a lot more but I think it's sort of temperament and uh, um, and it's what, what well is I, I don't say it's too late now but um, I, I prefer, you know, dipping in and out of foreign countries. Um, I think I'm, I think while uh, European and cosmopolitan, I'm also in some ways very English. Um, and also, you know, you're, you're in some way, if you're English and you, and you, you go and live in Europe, then it's a way of not being responsible for what happens in your own country and I, I, I'm not responsible for what happens in my country but I'm reactive to it uh, in, a, in a way that perhaps you wouldn't be so much if you lived in Italy or Spain or somewhere. I don't really know the answer to this one because I haven't tried it. You mentioned Harif uh, Koresh's son had already been you know, by the time he was 18 to Hong Kong and, and San Francisco and elsewhere. There are a lot of kids like that these days. My kids are like that as well. Um, do you think that, would you worry? I mean, I know you don't have kids, but do you think that some of these kids aren't grounded? Maybe they don't have to live in Tufnell Park for 45 or 50 years. But <laughs> do you think one of our cultural crises is that people don't really gr grow up with a sense of ge geographical identity? Um, it's difficult to answer that because... Um, sometimes a sense of geographical identity can be extremely stifling. Um, and if you live in a very, uh, in, a, in an area, in a place, in a town where everything is ordered, everything is, is, is stratified, um, religion, social order, and so on, I think that can be very stifling. And the first, uh, if you have any 
get up and go, you go. Um, so that was, that was, I mean, that's been a, a seen as a problem for some generations, to say the least. I mean, you know, people are always on the move. Um, people are always on the move going to America, expanding America, getting to the other coast and so on. Um, but then I think America is very diff different from Europe in that respect. People, you know, I remember the first time I saw a U-Haul truck and I realized that there was a couple or a family or a person just putting all their stuff in a little truck and going off maybe 2,000 miles and starting again somewhere else. Um, the distances are huge and the, uh, and the distances of mind and spirit are also huge. Um, so I don't know the answer to your question. But that's why I write novels, because I don't know the answers to lots of questions. You're famously from Leicester, not maybe a small town, but certainly not a large town in the Midlands of England. Thinking of previous generations, Kingsley Amos's friend, Philip Larkin, of course, stayed where he was and he built his art around that. If you'd have been up of a previous generation and, and stayed in Leicester, what kind of life do you think you would have had? Oof. It's an interesting place, Leicester. Um, I mean, I left when I was six weeks old and I've only been back, um, I don't know, two, two or three times. But you identify uh, yourself with it in a sense. Oh, I think that's a, that's a sort of sort of slight sentimentality I allow myself in that I've, you know, I followed the football team um, who are of, of moderate uh, uh, capabilities, but occasionally... Uh, do something brilliant and whenever they do I get phoned up by the Leicester Mercury or whatever the local paper is called for my comments and I feel quite sort of chuffed about that um, but I can't you can't you can't be truly nostalgic for a place you, you left when you were only six weeks old and one of the interesting things about Leicester it's the first first major city in Britain which became minority white um, a few years ago a lot it's had lots of immigrants over the last 60 years or so. Um, and it works. Um, you know, the, there's... Uh, um, London is extremely multicultural. Uh, it has a Muslim mayor. We have a Muslim mayor and a Hindu prime minister. Now, uh, we, do, we may get a lot of things wrong, and indeed one or both of them may do things that we don't agree with, but... Um, it, it's an extraordinary turnaround. And everyone thinks, you know, people complain about the London mayor, Sadiq Khan, um, uh, in a way that they complained about the exactly the same way that they complained about previous mayors of London, uh, like Boris Johnson and Ken Livingstone. Um, it's, you know, the taxi drivers complain in exactly the same way. Um, and uh, it is quite funny because it means that you know, this um, our Muslim mayor is regarded as you know as a mayor rather than a Muslim, uh, and I think that, of course, there are there is there is uh, there are problems. There are problems, especially of policing, uh, as there are in your country. Um, but on the whole, it's a fairly tolerant place, and I think it's. I think it's multiculturalism 
for the most part works. And I also think that that's the only way forward um, that, that, um, that countries, that monocultures um, become interned and um, dogmatic very easily and, and end up, you know, hating and victimizing the outsider or the person who is different. Whereas um, there's been a lot of in immigration all through my lifetime. Um, and I think that that's the way forward for any, any, all countries. Um, because apart from anything else, it sort of stops you going out and invading other countries of which you know nothing because you've never seen such inhabitants before. But if you know they're living down the street, then you might think twice. Mm, good advice for American statesmen. Um, you mentioned earlier that you took pride in writing writer on your passport when you had your first book or your second book. Um, in this generational context, do you think it was easier back then when you started, you went from the new statesman to, to writing books and that whole generation did? Some of them became instantly famous like like Amos, others took a little bit more time. Are you worried in any way by the current state of the creative industries of publishing? No. You've known publishing one way or the other inside out as a writer. You were married to a very distinguished uh, literary uh, uh, agent. Um, has something changed or are things pretty much still the same, Julie? No, I think things have changed. I, I, I don't think we, we had no sense that it was easy. Um, I mean, it's not easy being a writer because almost without exception, and the exceptions being you know, the Amos family, the Trollope family, um, you don't have uh, you, you don't have <laughs> you don't have a father or a mother who's been a writer. Um, the writing in my family consists of my mother once had uh, a letter published in the London Evening Standard, which she cut out and put on the mantelpiece. And my grandfather once privately printed um, a, a sort of research paper he'd done on carpentry. Now, that was all the writing that was done in my family. And so if you, if you, it takes quite a, a lot of step. Uh, quite, quite, it's quite a step and it takes quite a lot of grit, obstinacy to say, I want to try to be a writer. Nowadays, in some ways, it's easier in that you can apply to uh, writing, a writing school, lots and lots of writing schools uh, in universities and colleges around the country. And you can go on small schemes and go and live in a hutch somewhere and, and be taught for a month. And lots of people do that. This produces the counter problem of them all expecting that they're going to turn out to be writers. Um, I remember when I was teaching um, in Hopkins, I had a graduate class of about 10, um, one of whom had published a novel already. Um, and they were all talented in very different ways, in very individual and different and talented. But I think only one other has since published a book. Um, I hope to be surprised and one of them yeah, you can't sends, be taught. Although one of them sent, as a result of this podcast, one of them sends me his book saying, or her book saying, you didn't, you didn't mention me. Um, but I, so, so I think it's a different, uh, there's a different form of pressure. 
Um, and and I suppose I'm I'm concerned about publishing the way it uh, it's it seems to be you know either part of an enormous corporation a multinational multinational corporation or you know a small imprint and just as the what used to be called the mid list mm. uh, in fiction writing there used to be you know the the high flyers and then there were the people starting off and in the middle there was something called the mid list which were reliable um novelists who published regularly and had regular readers uh and that at a certain point that completely disappeared and the pressure uh i didn't feel any under any pressure when i wrote my first book and then my second book and then my third book i thought if i write a good one or one that succeeds then well that'll be great but the the not long afterwards became increasing pressure on publishers and and passed on to writers that you know you got one two or maybe three chances um and if you don't write a breakout book as they call it then you know you're going to actually disappear from the scene so um it's it, it, in that sense it's uh it's tricky uh, but then you know practicing any of the arts has always been tricky it's just that the the, the ways in which it is change from generation to generation, century to century. Um, at least we don't have to rely on uh, aristocratic patrons anymore in order to paint our pictures, write our music and publish our poems. One thing that has changed, this goes back to your, your point about England with a um, Hindu prime minister, is that it's become a lot more diverse publishing. Perhaps some people think too much yeah, your your class, your silver generation were all apart from Salman Rushdie, of course, who sort of exists in his own category. Were all white men. Is that good? The way in which publishing industry now is more diverse, and and have we gone too much the other way, where people are obsessed with people's identities before they look at their work? No, I think I think what's happened in the last ten years or so has been a necessary recalibration. Um, though I would also defend um, my generation. Um, when you look at my, my, one of the sort of great acts of, uh, of, of, of publicity as much as anything else was uh, um, there was an event called Best of Young British. And it happens every 10 years and it's Best of Young British Writers. Um, and um, my generation is seen as, you know, you're all white boys, but in fact, um, there were on my our list of twenty. There were uh, six women, uh, th either three or four writers of color, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, um, and now you come through forty years on. The latest list has been announced, and there are um, there are only two writers of color. There are only four men, I think, and most of them are young white women. So um, generalizations about what a particular generation is like um, are uh, a bit suspect. 
That's Julian Barnes's way of saying nonsense. Uh, final question, <laughs> Julian. You've been so generous with your time. Um, Hitchens and Amos, we began with them. They both wrote very successful memoirs of their lives and of their relationships. Uh, it doesn't seem as if you've written one. If you did, would it be a history of the life in a history of a life in ten and a half chapters? Would that be the title? <laughs> I think it would. Um, I'd certainly have to find some um, original, if not to say odd, way of doing it. Um, I've got no uh, interest in writing an autobiography, um, and not really in writing a memoir. Um, I, 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 I sort of, maybe I don't want to skew the record in advance by saying, this is my take. And then someone comes along and says, he's wrong. You know, he's just blagging. He didn't do that. He did this. Um, I, I, I can't see that it would be, I mean, I put bits of autobiography into certain books and um, I suppose my most autobiographical book uh, is Nothing to be Frightened of, which is about um, death and, and family, really. Um, but So I think I come at it obliquely if I come at, come at describing my own life at all. Uh, and I have at the moment, and I haven't had for the last 30 years or more, any particular desire to tell my readers what I'm like, where I come from, and stuff like that, or who I fell in love with. I'm not, don't want to do that. I have, it's a privacy. I, you know, it's, writing is both the public and the private act, and uh, some writers are more public than others. Um, and also, I think that a lot of writers' lives are interesting to them, but less interesting to, uh, to readers. And and there is also that great um, the weakness that the old older writer must always avoid the weakness and the vanity of thinking that um, that their life is interesting and and what's more that some of them write one two three four five six volumes of autobiography but in their in their later years you know Anthony Powell was an example. I remember one volume which was called To Keep the Ball Rolling. And I thought, that's hilarious. Um, you know, writing another book, you've got to keep the ball rolling. Um, so, so no, what, I have, what I've told readers about Jay Barnes in the books I've published is all they're going to get. I mean, there will probably be a biography when I'm dead, but I shan't worry about that. 